So uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 10 to 22. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not enter his house to collect what he offers as security. You must stand out while the man you are making the loan to brings the security out to you. If he is a poor man, you must not sleep in the garment he has given as security. Be sure to return it to him at sunset. Then he will sleep in it and bless you. And this will be counted as righteousness to you before the Lord your God. Do not, do not oppress a hired hand who is poor and needy, whether one of your brothers or one of the foreigners residing within a town in your land. You are to pay him his wages each day before the sun sets because he is poor and depends on them. Otherwise, he will cry out to the Lord against you and you will be held guilty. Fathers are not to be put to death for their children or children for their fathers. Each person will be put to death for his own sin. Do not deny justice to a foreigner or a fatherless child and do not take a widow's garment as security. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. It is to be left for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you knock down the fruit from, the, from, from your olive tree, you may not, must not go over the branches again. What re remains will be for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you must not glean what is left. What will remain will be for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. 
Hi there, my name's Dan. If I haven't met you before, it'd be great if you can keep that passage open at 1 John. Uh, we're in week seven of our series in 1 John, and um, I don't know about you, but I think it's been kind of heavy. Um, heavy stuff. I'm not sure if that's because of John or because of me, um, but tonight's going to be the same. Um, it's kind of serious stuff we're looking at, which probably is appropriate, I guess, as a church. We're not kind of here for some laughs and some supper. Um, that's not who we are. We're actually... I don't know, if we take a leaf out of John's writing here, we're actually soldiers involved in a world war. It's a really significant spiritual war. If you look with me at verse 19 of chapter 5, we'll see the nature of this world that we're in. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And yet we live in that world. We're at war with that world. So flick back with me again into chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 15, it's actually the first command John gives in this letter and perhaps kind of the major command. Chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And yeah, that's the world we live in. We live in this world that just wants to encourage us to fill up our desires, fill up our passions with the things of the world. You know, with comfort and gourmet food and, and sex and relationships and travel and experiences and jobs and whatever it might be. Just, if it feels good, do it. Don't follow Jesus. In fact, just a little bit later in, in chapter 2, verse 22 um, it says that we've got people in our world that, that don't want us to trust Jesus at all. They're called antichrists. What they say is this, verse 22, Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Messiah? This one is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So we're in this world war, a world that wants to tell us untruths about Jesus and a world that just wants to follow our passions. That's not a, I think you'll probably agree with me, it's not a war where we're like heroes, kind of donning machine guns and kind of having our heads cut off if we deny Jesus or something like that. We're in a war of the mundane. It's like they're the mundane decisions of life, the decisions we make to trust Jesus, to not fill up our passions with the things of this world. That's the war we're in. We're in this world where Jesus tells us to live this way and the world says, no, 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 live this way. That way is crazy. Are you serious? You don't want to go that way. Jesus, he's not all he's cracked up to be. He's not who you think he is. The way you want to walk is just, is just this way. Just fill up your passions. That's our world. We've, we've got temples to this kind of thing, places like Westfield. You know, there's kind of like a temple to the insatiable appetites of our passions. They've got the voices yelling at us, the voices of the world, like advertising. You, know, you need to fill up your passion with this. This is our world. We're in it all the time. We're tempted by it. You can be deceived by it. And if you're anything like me, you're tired of it. <laughs> is that just me? Did you get, did you get weary of this, this battle? You know, we make failures. We, make, you know, we stuff up in this battle, and that's tiring. And then we, we work to do the right thing, and it's just, you just want a break from it, don't you? 
Just want to take it easy for a little while. Well, weary soldiers, tonight John has a word of encouragement for us. Like Winston Churchill, we are bringing a word of encouragement to the, the soldiers working on the war effort. Now you might say, whoa, Dan, hang on a second, hang on a wall. You're just kind of exaggerating this a little bit, trying to make it all kind of some rhetorical kind of flourish or something like this. No, no, no. Actually, this is what John says. If you're fighting this world war, if you're actually seeking to put into practice the things in one John, trust Jesus, and from that, love people, love the world, love each other. If you're trying to do that, then be encouraged. Because what you're doing has world-conquering significance. That's the first point this evening, the victory of obedient love. The incredible claim of verses 1 to 5 is that as we trust and obey Jesus, we're taking part in the victory over this world. But let's start in verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. We've heard that kind of thing before in 1 John, haven't we? You know, if you trust that Jesus is the saving king, you're born of God, yep, we've heard that before. And if you love the Father, then you'll love other people born of him, other Christians, we've heard that before. But how do you know you are loving other Christians? Well, verse 2, this is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. In fact, verse 3, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. We actually love God by tangibly loving others, and we do that according to God's commands. That's right, you know, the commands in the Bible, the kind of, Exodus, Deuteronomy type stuff, um, that sort of thing. We don't, I don't know, we don't really like the sound of that though, do we? The commands. Commands? We've got to keep commands? They sound like some kind of foreign imposition on our freedom. We don't like the idea of that. They sound like a burden, don't they? Commands. But in verse 3, John says, no, they're not a burden. They're not a burden at all. You don't keep commands to to make God love you or something like that. It's not that kind of burden. It's just telling you how to love each other. Do you want to love each other? Well, the commands is kind of God telling us how to love each other. This has been a bit of a challenge for me this week. You see, firstly, I don't really know the commands that well. Christians of an older generation knew the Ten Commandments off by heart. I'd I'd struggle, Uh, let alone the rest of the commands about how to love each other. But secondly, the other way I've been challenged is that when I come to read those things, I, I, I find myself asking the question, do I need to keep that command? So, for example, we just looked at Deuteronomy 24. Andy read that a moment ago. So verse 20 says this. When you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, I don't even have an olive tree. Do you? How am I going to keep that command? Do I need to keep that one? Do I need to go and get an olive tree? But actually, you know, if the commands are really 
God teaching us how to love each other, then maybe I need to be asking a different question. Not, do I need to keep that command? But maybe I need to ask, how can I keep that command? Like, I don't have an olive tree, but let's read on a bit. Verse, verse 20, Deuteronomy 24, 20. When you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, you must not go over the branches again. You make sure you get every single olive off. What remains will be for the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widow. So not, must I obey that command, but how can I obey that one? Well, I think it means for me that I shouldn't, you know, make sure I account for every single cent for myself and put it in my bank. I've got to be ready to be a bit generous and give to poorer Christian brothers and sisters. That's how the command's teaching me to love each other, to love other Christians. I think we kind of need to hear this sort of thing at the moment, where Christianity's at in our kind of society. Because I think we've got this kind of Gnosticism, if I can put it that way, which is actually what John's writing against in that book. Uh, let me explain it like this. Um, we think love for God is all about here and here. You know, we think love for God is, is all about kind of, oh, I, I have this kind of passion for God in my heart and I kinda, I'm going to lift my heart in, in song and, and praise. I'm going to pray heartfelt prayers. Great. But where does it hit the road? You know, where does it take kind of concrete shape? Because we don't just love with here and here. We, we love with our hands and our feet and our ears and our mouths. Like John's telling us here that love for God must, must, must actually take shape in love for people, for other Christians, and doing it God's way according to his commands. So just a moment ago in, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he said this, The person who does not love his brother he has seen cannot love the God he has not seen. If You love the invisible God by loving visible people. And John says we do it God's way. Now I imagine um, no one sitting here tonight really inspired by what I've just said. Kind of thinking, oh yeah, keeping commands, awesome. Like, it sounds quite mundane. But John says, actually, no. This is the victory. And he insists on that. He says that kind of four, four times. Look with me at verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 4. Because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. And who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what I want you to really get tonight, brothers and sisters. That as you trust Jesus, actually walk a life of trusting him day by day, loving other Christians, you're living in victory. That's what I hope you can grab hold of and see the significance of it this evening. You know, it, doing that kind of thing is just not some kind of lifestyle choice you've, you've, you've chosen. It's not sort of some insignificant thing about fourth of the down your list of priorities that you might get around to if you've got time. It's world war. 
You know, you're living in this world that, that's just living for its passions, living for itself, living in a lie about Jesus. As we live by faith, in love for others, we're sticking it to the world. We're like an underground rebel movement conquering the world in Jesus' name. In the face of a world that just wants to hold on to untruths about Jesus, we brazenly hold on to the truth that Jesus is Lord. In the face of a world that's in the grip of fear, that can't, you know, it's so scared that it can't turn outward and love people. In the face of that world, we trust that God has so loved us that he's given his one and only son for us. So loved that we're able to turn out to others and love them. In the face of a world that just wants to be about itself, fill up its passions, throw itself towards you know, love and experiences and holidays and jobs and success and sex and whatever it is, in the face of that world, we say, I am satisfied in Jesus. And what I don't yet have, I'm going to wait for. Because I love the Father. He loves me. I will not ultimately miss out. Our faith and our actions, as we trust Jesus, they are significant, brothers and sisters. They are us partaking in victory over this world. So that every time you say, I am going to love my brother, I am going to love my sister, even though it costs me, you're living in victory. And the evil one is saying, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> don't, you wouldn't want to do that. You might lose out. That's dangerous. I don't know if you want to do that. Be afraid. And you say, no. I'm going to trust Jesus on this one. I'm going to walk his way. That's the victory of faith. Every time, you know, at work we kind of find ourselves saying, no, I'm not going to angle things that way just to make me look better and maybe make someone else look worse. I'm not going to do that. That's walking in the victory. Not, not just chucking yourself in towards the passions of this world to get the praise of men. It's trusting God. Every time we say no to filling up our passions with the things of this world, no to that non-Christian date, no to, you know, the, to the porn or the extra drink or whatever it is that you struggle with. Each time you say no, that's, that's living the victory. Even in the super mundane things, <laughs> like every time you put money in the plate, the bag, whatever it is we use. Every time you stack the chairs, every time you seek to love your brothers and sisters in Jesus' name, you're living in the victory over this world. You see how significant it is? These things seem so mundane. But never think that mundane things aren't significant things. Maybe mundane, but not insignificant. These mundane things of trusting Jesus and loving each other have world-conquering significance. And so I ask brothers and sisters, do you want to fight for something? Do you want to live for something significant? How about conquering the world? One little obedient act of love at a time.
Now, I've probably got to correct myself a bit here. Um, because I may well have made it sound like um, it's all about you. You know, you've got to have the strongest faith. You're the conqueror of the world. Go out and do it, people. Live the victory. Be victors. And there's some truth in that, some. But what's 10,000 times more important than your faith and how strong your faith is, is who your faith is in and how strong he is. So verse 5 says, Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one, it doesn't really matter who the one is, but it's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what it's about. This battle we're in can get tough. The fighting can be fierce. It'll cost you. As you follow Jesus, you will find yourselves in places you don't want to be, stretched on the rack between faithfulness and failure. You'll find yourself being asked to do things your sinful heart does not want to do. It's a battle. And the big question in this battle is not how strong is your faith. The question is, how wonderful is your saviour? Is your captain worth following in this battle? Is he? Do you have confidence in your captain, Jesus? And John wants to say, absolutely you should have confidence in him. That's what verses 6 to 12 are all about. Absolutely have confidence in your captain because he is the Messiah, the King, the Son of God, and he has won the victory. He has turned this world on its head. Have confidence in him. That's our next point this evening, confidence in our captain, verses 6 to 12. You see, friends, if you do not have confidence in Jesus, you will not even pick up a gun to fight. You will not begin. You will just live in this world quite happily. And I, I, There might be people here saying, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not confident about Jesus. If that's you, please keep, keep thinking, keep asking questions, explore this. But there's others of us here who say, yeah, I, he is my captain. I'm following him. But my confidence is kind of limited. You know, the danger there is that we'll find ourselves looking back over our shoulder, you know, second-guessing him, just not entirely convinced that he knows what he's doing. We're kind of not quite willing to put all our eggs in the Jesus basket. We kind of question his way of life. Is that you? Are you sure you want me to give money away, Jesus? Is that really the way? Are you sure? You want me to be humble? I'm not entirely convinced that's the best. You want me to love people even when it's costly? I kind of doubt that. If that's you, I want to say you're still in, in victory. You still have eternal life. Because the victory is in the hands of Jesus. The thing is, though, you won't really live the victory. You won't really live out eternal life fully. But that's what John wants us to do. He really wants us to live it. And so from verses 6 to 12, he gives us reasons to be confident in our captain. Now, as 
verses 6 to 12 were read. I don't know what you were thinking, but I was thinking, this is weird. Is blood, spirit, water. I hope I don't have to preach on these verses. And then I realized I did. They're kind of weird. Um, and we could spend all night talking about them, but we won't. Um, what I think John's getting at is, is kind of this. Because of what Jesus has done, the spirit of life has come. Therefore, Jesus must be the Messiah. Trust him. Live for him. Now, to flesh that out, I think we've got to, we've got to tell kind of a bit of the Bible story. Um, so let, let's wind the clock back and tell a bit more of the, the big picture Bible story. The world we live in is not as it should be. Um, God made us at a, as at a place that was meant to revel in his love and goodness. We were meant to be like children playing in the fountain of his goodness, loving him and loving each other. But the world is not as it should be. You and I are not as we should be. We don't live for God. We don't love him as we ought to. And we don't love other people as we ought to. The world is not as it should be. This was seen in the Old Testament through the story of the Jews. God especially chose them. They were like an exhibit of humanity as a whole. And he expressed his love towards them. And he gave them his law. He said, I love you. And they said, we love you too, God. And he said, well, if you love me, live this way. This is the way to love each other and love me. And they said, great. But they couldn't do it. They just couldn't do it. They couldn't believe in him. They couldn't keep his commands. They couldn't love each other or love him. They couldn't do it. But he promised, God promised for hundreds of years that the world wasn't going to stay this way, this messed up way. He was actually going to come and set things right. He was going to come and conquer the world as it is. Set it right, restore it. He was going to enable us to actually love him. Actually keep his commands and love each other. He called the time, this, this new era that was coming, it was going to be called eternal life. And here's the key thing. Eternal life would begin when the Messiah and the Spirit came. This eternal life era would begin when the Christ, the Messiah, and the Spirit came. Well, John says the Spirit's come because of what Jesus did. He must be the Messiah. Trust him. Does that make sense? And so he says in verse 6, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. I think that's a little thing going on to address the false teachers, which we're not going to get into right now. And finally, and the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. So when Jesus was baptized in the water at the beginning of his life, the Spirit came down on him. And that was like God the Father saying, this guy's my son. It was God's testimony. And then at the end of Jesus' story, when he died, when his blood was shed, then the Spirit came down on all sorts of people. Their lives were suddenly changed. They started to do amazing things, following God, loving each other, living eternal life. The Spirit had come. 
because of what Jesus did. And so John says, Jesus must be the Messiah. Put it together, people. Look at the history book. Jesus is the king. Trust him. Throw all your eggs in that basket with him and follow him. If you're not confident that Jesus is worth following, then, then, do, then check out the history. Look at how at every point along Jesus' story, he is bringing this eternal life, this, this age of the spirit through his life. And then ultimately, as he gives up his life and holds out the offer of eternal life to you, the offer to overcome this world. If you're not there yet and you want, to do, you want to do that, you want to look at the history book, please ask me afterwards. I'll give you a copy of, of John's account of Jesus' life. I'd love to do that. Please ask me. But John has actually got a second string on his bow in this bit. He's got a second argument. It's not, he's not going to just argue on um, objective history. He also wants to talk about um, subjective personal experience. So look with me at verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within him. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony that the Spirit of God within him, testifying to the truth. And back down in verse 11, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. As we trust in Jesus, we find ourselves living eternal life. It kind of goes like this. We can have confidence that Jesus is the Christ because... When we heard about Jesus, about his life, his death, his resurrection, when we heard about him, we found ourselves believing. And not just kind of agreeing with some facts. We actually found that our lives were being reshaped. We started to see that our lives were no longer just being shaped by the world. We started to see the world for what it was. We found ourselves starting to actually love God actually wanting to kind of call him Father. We found ourselves actually starting to love our brothers and sisters. Strangely, we found ourselves actually living eternal life, conquering the world in a way. The Spirit was at work in us. Why? How? Because of Jesus, because of what we heard about Jesus. That's where it all began. Faith came from hearing Life came from hearing about Jesus. It's all about him. If the Spirit came into our lives and started to change us around just because of what we heard about Jesus, he must be the Christ. He must be the Son of God. He must be worth following. He must be worth throwing all your, you know, it must be worth throwing all your eggs in his basket and living for him, trusting him. I've been really just kind of captured by the significance of this this week. That the world was so broken 
and God entered the world in his son and kind of flipped it on its head, became victorious over it, and then I'm included in that. I get to actually live it. I get to live the victory through faith in his son. I hope you see, brothers and sisters, the significance of all this, of living for Jesus. Even in the mundane, I want to encourage you tonight to keep following him. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where you struggle to keep his commands or where you struggle to love each other or where you struggle to kind of hold on to the truth. I don't know where the war's at for you. But I want to encourage you to keep struggling in the mundane things, remembering that these mundane things have world-conquering significance. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Brothers and sisters, carry on in faith. Can I pray for you? Lord God, we're so thankful that you've come into this broken world and had your victory, the way you've squashed death and sin, that they do not have a future in this world. You're going to recreate it. You're going to set it all to right. And you've begun to do that, Lord. Thank you that you've begun to do that in us. Thank you that you've begun to do that as you've given us your spirit and and enabled us to start to live this, this new life, this eternal life. Oh God, help us to see the significance of this day to day as we wake up tomorrow morning, Lord. As my brothers and sisters wake up tomorrow morning and go into the office or whatever it is, may we see that even the little mundane things we do to follow you have great significance and help us to live for you in everything, we pray. We pray so that you would have all the glory and that we would live life. Amen.